podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ben, uh, obviously massively frustrating that you played so well this week and were denied the chance to level the series by the rain. But is it a bigger disappointment that you found yourselves 2-0 down in the first place and left yourself such a big job over the last three tests? No, not really. Our glorious scenes, Australia have retained the ashes. All across the country we are celebrating. The urn is not going anywhere. I'm Menas. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, what a day to be an Aussie. G'day, Menas. G'day, everyone. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, the, the return of the ashes, there's a, a whole lot of talk amongst the English that it's a hollow victory and all this sort of stuff, and I don't buy that at all. Um, I, I just think... Um, it's very difficult to get a result, to use the English football parlance, away from home. And for Australia to have now had successive series in England where we are returning with the Ashes is fantastic. And yeah, it would have been nicer to have um, won them in front of a full crowd with a, a blazing finish. But that's not, that's not always how things work out. And I don't think um, that it makes the victory any less, uh, any less special. Um, and yeah, I'm really delighted. So am I just, and such a thrilling evening too. that fifth day, the action of just the, the, the thrill of watching the covers on the ground most of the day. And then I was enjoying like the glimmer of hope that it wave across the Englishman and as the rain had stopped for maybe 10 minutes and they'd be like, oh, maybe we can get on here. And then just as they'd sort of start to think about that, the rain had come back. Um, yeah, it was a thrilling final day. I mean, what more could you want from an Ashes test? Well, it firmly put paid to any um, aspirations I have had uh, for a career in meteorology. Um, <laughs> after after the, the fourth day where the it turned out to be much less rain than expected, and then I was thinking, oh, well, maybe that'll be the case on the fifth day. And then kind of had how I'd initially thought it through, if you listen back to our show on the end of the third day, I sort of, I, I proclaimed that we'd won the Ashes then, um, or we'd retain the Ashes then. So, um, you know, uh, it, it is worth saying that, I am disappointed as a cricket fan that we're not going to get that um, finale at the Oval that this series deserved. And I know that that's going to mean that um, uh, a percentage of casual sports fans in England will say, oh, well, that was cricket. I didn't really know it existed. Um, and I'll, I'll tune in again uh, at some point in the future. And that saddens me because if it had been that blockbuster finish at the Oval, and especially if Australia could have won it, then it would have been front and back page news in England. And I think that Test Cricket needs that. Uh, so that is disappointing. But as I said, I still don't think that it means that it's a hollow victory. No, not at all. And I, I do think, though, that, I mean, I, I think sports fans can get a bit greedy. I mean, this series has had everything, it, you know, it, it can be still a great series without being too all at going to the Oval. Um, but, yeah, just... You know, I don't know if you heard those. You heard those comments I I played there. Ben Stokes was asked by a journalist 
you know, regrets about going 2-0 down in an Ashes series. I mean, you know, you leave yourself no room for error if you lose the first two test matches. I mean, there's been a lot of whinging going on from the English team, a lot of whinging going on from the English fans about the weather, but they've only got themselves to blame. They made some silly mistakes in the first two tests. They gave Australia a big advantage, and there's no room for error when that happens. And I just don't think it's appropriate to whinge. I've seen a lot of people posting the image of 2013 when a Australia, uh, when England retained the Ashes at home on the back of a rain out at Old Trafford, when Australia looked to be storming back into the series. So, you know, this is Ashes cricket. That's why it means so much. It's, you know, I think it's, I think England are looking like a bit of a goose for carrying on about the weather. I understand the supporters being disappointed. I mean, I'd be very, but the team. uh, Look, I I, I think that um, in time, the team will have a different uh, response to it. I, I, I kind of give Ben Stokes a, a, a free pass on the moment that all of his, um, you know, aspirations and everything else have, have failed. It's a very, you know, it's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow when no matter what he does throughout the rest of his career, this will be um, a massive opportunity lost. And yes, they could have done things a little bit differently, but I just think ultimately it's a series where the the the, the, the standard of the two sides has been very similar and whichever side was going to lose is going to feel disappointed. So I can totally understand his disappointment. Uh, and I, I think in the days to come, he'll feel, um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll speak with a little bit more um, of his normal grace uh, about it. Um, and look, but the thing is, sport doesn't always p- pan out in exactly the fairest way. I mean, mm. English fans, their national sport of football, you, you see that all the time. Of uh, A team has 25 shots on goal. The other team gets one dodgy penalty and wins one nil. And and that's the way it happens. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case here, but I am saying that you could make an argument that given the first three tests were effectively dead heats and that England had the demonstrably the better of this one, that so far, four test matches in, maybe England overall have been the better side. But you could make the argument in 2005 that Australia uh, were the better side. That if it wasn't for an umpiring error in the second test match when Australia were just two runs shy of victory, um, you know, an, an error that would be overturned these days with DRS, that Australia would have gone up 2-0 and probably gone on to win that series. Ditto 2019. It was ended up being 2-all. But again, umpiring error right at the end. They should have given Stokes out LBW. They didn't. Australia would have won that Headingley Test match. I'm not complaining about either of those two. I think that um, it's just, it's par for the course with sport, that in really close series, sometimes the side that maybe objectively played slightly better doesn't always win, and that's just the way it is, and that's part of the glory of sport. Yeah, and I I mean, I disagree. I think Australia played better in those first two test matches, and you, you could say the, the, the series is pretty even, but I, I don't think England has been the better side. <laughs> they looked better in that test match, but but also... But I think if you... I mean, I, I, I don't want to have an argument about it, but I think if you just objectively did, okay, what's the... Um, average runs scored per wicket throughout this series. England probably are ahead in that regard. Well, I think they are ahead. I think I heard those stats on BBC. Andy Zaltzman had them, and I think they're five or six runs ahead, but they probably got a a bit of a help in this last test match. I mean, focusing on this match, though, I do think Stokes' tactics on day three now look really stupid because, you know, he's they're crying at the end of the press conference that they didn't have enough time to win, yet he batted on after lunch when everybody was saying declare 200 in front. They had all afternoon on that third day. Then they got on for two and a half hours on day four. You know, had England got Australia five or six down 
on that third afternoon, maybe they could have mopped them up in, in that little period they got on a day four. And, you know, for a team that talks about aggression and taking every opportunity, Stokes took the soft option at the most important moment in the test match. And you can't say it's cost them victory, but it's cost them a, a better chance at victory. And um, there's that. And also pushing back on, on the fact that, you know, Australia were only 60 behind with five wickets in hand. I mean, we could have got a lead in that third innings, maybe 150, 200 in front and made England chase something. So to just say it was a guaranteed victory for, victory for England is also folly. I agree with the thrust of your comments, but I don't, I'm not as strident about it. I, I don't think that I would characterize Stokes' um, tactics as, as really that poor. What I would say is that throughout the history of Test cricket, the position that they found themselves kind of when they began their innings on day two, I don't think any side ever would have done what was required. And that is to say, the forecast indicates that there's every chance we're not going to get any play on days four and five. We therefore have to absolutely play, assuming that this is only going to be a three-day test match, and do everything um, accordingly. It's just not in the DNA of, of anything I've ever, any captain I've ever seen. What I think Stokes, to his credit, did was that they went a long way towards doing that. I mean, the second session of day two, scoring at seven and a half runs and over, was absolutely unheard of in, in mm. test cricket, and they deserve every bit of credit for it. As I said to you before, I did find it puzzling then that in the final session on day three, you have Harry Brook, who has a test strike rate of 100, who is the poster boy for baseball, batting um, with a strike rate below 50. Ben Stokes himself wasn't all that aggressive. I don't understand, given it worked so well for them in the second session, I don't understand why they didn't keep on swinging from the hilt and then make an aggressive declaration. I sort of said, you know, maybe get 50 or so in front of Australia give themselves the best chance of winning. It might not still have panned out, but I think that that was the the way that they should have gone. So I do think that there is some criticism of Stokes for not batting more aggressively on day three and then not declaring, I would have declared on day three, but it's certainly not declaring, sorry, I would have declared on day two. Certainly he could have declared at least earlier than he did on day three. But I put that in amongst the perspective of, I don't think any other captain I know of would have gone that far. So I think he that's the frustrating thing if I was an English fan, that he he did all the hard work and it was almost, yeah, he got to the the top of that Mount Everest and forgot to plant the flag. Yeah, that that, that that's right. I mean, he had a chance and he didn't take it. Um but, but I mean, you know, some some real heroes for Australia in this test match, you know, retained the ashes, minus Labashane and Mitchell Marsh in that second innings, a vital partnership of over a hundred. That kept Australia in the game, uh, you know, had one of them gone early and England had a chance at our lower middle order, you never know what we'd be talking about today. So, you know, some really good performance from Australia. And, you know, I think now heading down to the Oval, we'll get a really good idea of who is the better team by the result at the Oval. I think if Australia wins and they go home 3-1, it's inarguable they're the better side. Whereas if England win and level the series to all, you can say that they're pretty evenly matched. Australia started very hot and went off the boil and England have come back. I mean, I think it's it's that close. And I also think that the notion that Australia, because they had a couple of really bad days, are now finished is ridiculous. That We've seen it so many times, especially in away Ashes series in recent times, that uh, th this whole concept of momentum in sport is nonsense as far as I'm concerned. That It just flips and flops so many times that there was um, in 2000 and, uh, 
15 when Australia got uh, beaten two tests in a row, the third and the fourth test. No one gave Australia a chance of winning the fifth test. They did win the fifth test. 2019, it was almost comical after each test match went one way. Um, you know, it was like, oh, Australia lost at Headingley. They'll be so dispirited they can't possibly win. Yet they won again um, at Old Trafford uh, in, to win the Ashes. And then it's like, oh, well, then England will be finished. Yet England came back and won the final test match. It's Again, I don't think it's fair to say that because England obliterated Australia for a couple of days, that this victory is hollow. There are plenty of Ashes series when you look back in the past mm. where the side has had a bad day, a bad couple of days, a bad test match. You know, it's like in tennis. If you won the match 7-6, um, 7-6, seven, six, seven, six, love 6-7-6, six, six, you wouldn't say, oh, well, that, th- that third set co- totally um, invalidates it. Now, it's still to be seen whether Australia do win that final set. And as you say, if England win and um, it's 2-all, then it, it, it'll have a very different complexion than if Australia win and it's 3-1. And I also think that I do celebrate the way that England have, have played the game. I think it is worthy of saying... This side was absolutely useless a few, um, a couple of years ago. They got beaten 4-0 in Australia. Should have been 5-0 if it wasn't for the rain in Sydney. Um, since Stokes and McCullum have taken over, this is the first draw. Their record has just completely changed. I think it is wonderful the way that they play the game. But I don't think that the way that the Australians play the game is deserving of censure. They're still playing a highly watchable brand of cricket. Um, and even if England are more entertaining now, they've got about 145 years to catch up on. Uh, this is, you, know, you look through all the past, and I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but if someone wants to do them, I'm sure that Australia's average um, run rate is much higher than England's um, throughout the long journey of, of the history of the Ashes. And I do think that the Bairstow incident has overshadowed the fact that these Aussies play with more grace than any Australian side I can remember. The 85 side, I dimly remember, by all accounts, they were playing with a lot of grace. But I just think that for all the legitimate concerns we sometimes have about Pat Cummins' on-field tactics, I think that the side that he has moulded in his image makes me proud as an Australian cricket fan because of the way that they play the game. And so I don't accept that it is a hollow um, a hollow thing whatsoever mm, for them absolutely. to have retained the Ashes. Absolutely, I agree with you. It's not a hollow thing at all. And um, on a couple of those points, I guess looking at the fifth test, and we'll get into it more later in the week, but... I guess my concern is not momentum, is Australia's tactics, and that's what we'll need to rejig. I don't think it'll be a momentum thing if we lose. It'll be the fact that we go in and just bowl bounces every ball and get hit hit all over the place. But but you're 100% right. I mean, this Australian team is so likeable. They play in an exemplary manner. They are such good ambassadors for Australia. They always play with a smile on their face. You know, even Pat Cummins, when it's going really bad for him after a bad day, he still fronts the media with a big smile and makes jokes. I mean, you know, this is a very likable team, um, you know, and you, you could make a very strong argument that they are the team, you know, England are the team that have, you know, have played outside the spirit of cricket in this season, this summer, the way they've, you know, pushed back against the umpire at Lords and stuff. I mean, Australia have held their nerve. They've been calm. They've kept a smile on their face. Even when things got really hot after the Lords Test match, they they didn't really buy into it. They kept to their own game, and as you say, they're they're a very likable team. It's not a hollow victory, and you know these are great days for not just Australian sports history, but Australian history. You know when you know the waves and the ripples of the ashes being retained, you know flows across this great land. You know you wake up and it's on news bulletins, the radio. I mean when the ashes are secured, is it's such a big moment for Australian 
in history. And I don't think this is hollow at all. I think it's one of the gutsiest performances to go over there. And, you know, let's not forget, they won three test matches in a row in England, the World Test Championship and two again in the Ashes. I mean, what England would give to win three test matches in a row in Australia ever? I don't even know if they've ever done it. Um. Yeah, they have done it. I know they did it in 28-9 um, and they did it in 32-3. Um, and I think they did it in 78-9 um, as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, put it this way. Aside from 2010-11, where uh, England won the, the Ashes in Australia, they have not won in Australia since 1986-87. Um, so since the early days of the Bob Hawke um, era is the last time that they'd won other than 2010-11. And that final test match in Sydney in January 2011 is the last test match that they have won in Australia. They have had um, every set match since then has either been a loss or um, uh, a kind of a, a, a draw that they had the worst of. Um, so uh, I think that puts it in context as well. It is very difficult to win away from home. And so I think that I have no problem whatsoever with the Australians celebrating in the dressing room uh, upon the news that the umpires had uh, called called the game off. I see no problem with that at all. And yeah, of course, uh, you've got to acknowledge that Australia was saved by the weather in this game. Most likely, I take your point that it was there was there was always a chance, but ninety five percent Australia were going to lose. The weather saved them. That happens in cricket. I you know I said on the podcast yesterday, I still think that Test cricket needs to look at that. Um, and, you know, the, the notion of even a reserve day, I think, for Ashes Test Match is a great idea. Um, it works well for the World Test Championship final two years ago with India and um, and New Zealand. Uh, and I think that for a, a blue ribbon series like the Ashes, I know the schedule is tough, but having a sixth day, if needed, I think could be could be justified for a series of this magnitude. Yeah, I'm not really into that. But interesting, you spoke on day four, rap about, you know, moving times around and I sort of, sort of laughed it off because, you know, I'm used to, you know, your wild notions. But, you know, if you if you look at other sports, baseball sometimes moves the first pitch time around to avoid weather patterns. I remember the US Masters when Tiger Wood, Woods won the last time. They were due to tee off in the afternoon, but they moved it to early morning to avoid a weather front. They just don't think cricket's that uh, malleable, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, but yeah. I think that... You've got to look back to where it was that, um, as I said yesterday, there was a time when they wouldn't move anything. And the, the fact that they now can play up to an hour later each day to make up for rain lost on the day or up to half an hour on subsequent days for rain that was um, that occurred earlier in the match. If you tell that to someone from 1985, they would say, oh, that's you know heretical. You can't do that. Yet it has been done. And it is fine. And so I just think the notion of saying, okay, let's have a, an objective way of doing it. The umpires can look at it and say, based on the best uh, probability of the weather forecast, we're going to have some rain later in the test match. We're going to extend play by half an hour or an hour on the earlier days. And as I said, if it turns out that the weather forecast is wrong, then you curtail it a, a couple of hours early on day five or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I just think that the cricket can't just rely on the fact that, well, that's the way it is. You've got to appeal to the more modern fans. I saw something extraordinary on Twitter. Uh, an English guy who's clearly a soccer fan saying that he's got into the ashes, and um, but he's lost respect for it because he's now discovered that the weather can um, can ruin the game. And it's like, that shows how, how far cricket has lost the casual sporting fan in England. I can't imagine any Australian casual fan 
having such a lack of knowledge of test cricket. But that's where it is in England. And, you know, that's when I look and think, had a couple of these things been done, if we then went to the Oval to all and we have five or six days of cricket absolutely dominating the the English sporting landscape, that's an opportunity that this series has missed. It's mm. still going to be a great final test match. There's still plenty to play for, but there is that sense of what might have been. Yeah. I, I just don't understand why you're so obsessed with England, you know, loving cricket as much as we do. I mean, they're never going to love it as much as we do. Football is their national sport. I mean, the Ashes could be, you know, eight all going into a deciding match. We could have, and I think football is still going to dominate. So anyway. Of course. Of course it's going to dominate. But I I love the history of the game and I have read and consumed an enormous amount of English cricket history. And you, you just look at it through the year, decade on decade, English cricket has um, dropped in popularity. If you go back to the 1940s, uh, yes, football was more popular, but it wasn't that much more popular. Even as recently as the 1980s, um, the gap between the two sports was, was, was there. But in the, in the more recent times, the popularity of football has just skyrocketed and the popularity of cricket has just dwindled. And the reason I think I get passionate about it is I would say to anyone, take someone who's never seen cricket before to, to a day of this Ashes series and sit them down and watch it with them. By the end of it, they'll walk away saying that was really good. And I think it's sad that uh, so many of the average fans in England don't even know that kind of cricket exists since it went behind, behind the paywall and all of that. So I, I think that's part of the reason. I, I, just, I just think it's a great product. And that it once was higher than it was now. And I'd like to see it's never going to challenge football, but it's been it's been eclipsed by rugby union massively. Um, and that wasn't the case in the 1980s. Um, it's, it's probably been eclipsed by any number of sports in, in, in England now. I would like to see it restored to uh, at least the dominant summer game. Well, it's certainly not going to happen. Well, I mean, if England, I still, th- as I said, I still think this series is good enough to get people into cricket, but, uh, just on what uh, Ben, so I, I thought after the game, you know, Pat Cummins was really good, you know, as always, he didn't uh, beat his chest or anything. He was very humble, you know, sort of described it was a bit of a hollow feeling. Um, it was very gracious in accepting the draw. Whereas I, I do think Ben Stokes, and I played that comment before, but, you know, he wasn't as gracious. I don't think he ever congratulated the Australians at all on retaining the Ashes. And, you know, I do think it's poor sports, sportsmanship. He was asked about um, the declaration, and this is what he said. This is on abc.net. He said, regardless of what we did, we would have ended up in the same situation. Anyone who's going to question the declaration in this game probably doesn't understand the game as well as we do. So there you go, Paul. You've been put in your place by Ben Stokes. <laughs> yeah, obviously I disagree with those comments, but, you know, I said what I said before, and, um, you know, as I said, I think that, his tactics were better than any other captains I've seen in that situation. And it was just frustrating as a, as someone who wanted it to kind of um, to have every chance of a decider that, that he didn't take that final step. Um, he would disagree with that. Um, you know, as I said, I think I give him a bit of a pass on, uh, on such a disappointing day. And I think in time to come, he'll speak with, um, you know, more grace about the series. Well, I hope so. Well, Paul, I think we should wrap it up. We're One thing of... before we go. Yes. Um, just a couple of quick stats. Um, yeah, go for it. So um, I did this well, um, when Australia first, uh, when Australia won the Ashes back uh, in 2017-18, uh, 
I went back through my whole lifetime to calculate how long <laughs> each side had held the ash before. I don't know why, but um, I found that um, the other day and I've updated it. So um, since I was born on the 28th of September 1977, um, which makes me 25, um, Australia has held the ashes for 10,481 days, England at 6,263. So Australia 62.6% to England 37.4%, obviously as the um that that's going to stay for the next 18 months or so uh it's going to just tick up as far as australia is concerned and the other thing as well just to kind of emphasize um that you know this sort of feeling of um that australia has had a hollow victory i just wanted to point out that in all test matches ever in england there have been 68 draws england has won 54 and australia has won 53 so if australia go to the oval and win they can actually say they are level pegging with England away from home, which is an extraordinary achievement. By by reference, in Australia, there have been 29 draws, England have won 57, and Australia have won 99. So um, it, it's a it's a stunning um, it's a stunning disparity that is slightly reduced when you look at number of Ashes series because there are a few one Test match series that England won. Australia's ahead, but only just. And uh, Big Leg Cutter um, on Twitter did the stats since 2001. So since 2001 overall, um, Australia leads 35 to 18. In Australia, since 2001, um, Australia lead by 23 to 4. And since 2001, the last time that Australia won a series in England, England leads, but it's only 14 to 12. And I think that emphasises that, yep, Australia hasn't won in that time, but all but one in 2005, went very close in 2009. 3-0 probably didn't quite do them justice in 2013. Lost 3-2 in 2015, drew 2-all in 2019, and worst-case scenario is going to draw 2-all draw here. So there's no doubt that um, Australia's domination of cricket uh, has continued in the 21st century. Oh, I love those stats. What a great way to finish this podcast. Well, the plan is for Cricket Unfiltered to record another episode this week looking at the Ashes retention with the great Neil Manthorpe from South Africa. Um, so that, that'll be coming before the fifth test. But, Paul, the Ashes have retained. I'm going to go now and celebrate, continue to celebrate. I mean, it's been fantastic. Basball's been put in its place. Ben Stokes and England are reeling. I couldn't be happier. I think it's just been... Uh, I hope in time, that it depends what happens in the fifth test, but I hope in time this is looked upon as a great series uh, because the standard of cricket has been superb and there's been a couple of unsavoury incidents. I hope they recede and the realisation of that this is, um, it's been highly, spectacularly watchable and hopefully the fifth test match um, gives it the series the conclusion it deserves. Let's hope so. Let's hope Australia gets up at the Oval. I think it starts Friday night, the fifth test, so not Thursday long to night. Wait. Thursday night. Wow. I think so, yeah. Okay, well, Thursday night it starts. Let's, let's just check that before we get off the phone, the podcast here. Paul, where can the listeners catch up with you if uh, they want to talk to you about saving English cricket? <laughs> Paul.Dennis on Twitter. And um, uh, sorry, no, that's Paul.Dennis on TikTok. Um uh, Paul Dennett underscore on Twitter. You're right. Thursday night, the fifth test kicks off. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, we'll be back later in the week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See ya. This is a Piccolo podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.